0: Welcome to the Awakening Church, one of the great churches Maui has to offer. And now, Pastor Stefan Fusle with this week's message. Well, aloha, welcome, good morning. My name is Pastor Stefan. So great to have you here today. We're so excited because we're starting a brand new series, and we're pumped up because you're here today. And um, I just want to say welcome to all of you guys who are joining us, not only just here from all over, even Alaska today, we've got Alaska in the house. Uh, but also on our Facebook Live and on our Awakening app, uh, we just want to say we're so stoked you're here. Um, anyway, beautiful weather, isn't it? Oh my goodness, like nice. And if you live here, this is like beautiful weather for us because it's nice and cool in Kihei, but there's still sun. But if you're visiting from the snow, you're like, hey, where's the temperature? Let's turn it up a little bit. Don't worry, it's good weather is on the way. We we got you covered. We got you covered. Also, my dad is in the house. My, my dad, Reinhold Fussell, he's the man. He's the reason I'm here today. Let's give him a round of applause. Um, yes, also, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to get the good news, but um, my wife and I, we have a bun in the oven, and uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, pretty exciting stuff. If you get a chance to go to Facebook and uh, check out, we put together a video where we introduce that to everybody, and everybody's freaking out, so it's a good old time. Uh, yeah, so we're currently in the series, uh, beginning a series called Noah, and if you see the the video here, the video, uh, or sorry, the movie Noah is probably not the most theologically accurate video you want to watch when it comes to the uh, to the authentic story of Noah. If you want that, you go to the God's Word and uh, check it out for yourself, but I felt it would be like kind of fun to start off the, the series with some visuals so you guys can start thinking and it primes your mind about this whole story of Noah. And uh, we're going to cover different themes that are covered in this story. It's a, an amazing story. And if you're reading in the in the Bible, and, and if you read over it too fast, or you're not really present, and you're not really asking God to open up your mind when you read, you could really skip over some things that are like, wait a minute, time out, what did they just say? We're going to take a look at a few of those things. Uh, but the themes are pretty simple. They're themes like obedience and mercy. Uh, the, the obedience is going to be what we're going to cover next week. Uh, mercy is the following week. Uh, but um, then the, the last week, we're going to kind of take a look at the overall story of Noah and say, hey, what kind of lessons can we learn um, as a church? And then, but today we're going to be talking about the wrath of God, the wrath of God. You're all going to hell. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, so anyway, we're, uh, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God. And the reason why we're doing that is because it's an important subject. It's, it's one thing, you know, we, we talk about a lot of different, uh, churches and, and, and people will talk about God and it'll be a, a God that's you know, loving and God is kind of soft and merciful, and rose petals and, and snowflakes and everything. And He loves everybody. And we're that's the kind of God we serve. But the reality is, is that you gotta, if you really look at God's word, you'll discover that there are some different characteristics, um, of personalities of God that if we're not careful, we can overlook, and then we're not getting the total picture. Um, and I've got to be honest with you this morning that, that talking about the wrath of God, it's not like the first thing I want to talk about when I talk to somebody about God, but it's an important thing, and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the most popular either, but it's so important that if we're a church that believes in God's Word and we, we, we look at the totality of Scripture, that we would look at this component Um, and so where do I get this whole wrath of God thing from? Okay, well, let's take a look at God's word. By the way, we're all about God's word here. We believe it's powerful. We believe it's, um, it's a guidebook to life that if you want to live life to the fullest that you go to God's word and it has everything you need to know there about how to live, how to how to breathe, how to move, everything is there. And so we make God's Word accessible to you. So we have this really cool free app that you can download, and God's Word is right there. So if you don't have your Bible with you, you actually do. It's in your pocket. Download the Awakening app, or uh, there's a number of other ones that have a, a scripture or the Bible. And also we have some custom Awakening Bibles outside that are uh, our gift to you. Or if you know somebody that could use it, uh, just bless them. We want to be generous with you. But we're going to take a look at what God said, or what the Bible says about... The wrath of God, and you find it in Nahum, Nahum chapter one verses one through six, and this is the NIV version. And this is what it says about God. It says, "The Lord is a jealous God. One of His name is jealous, jealous. He's a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He what? I'm sorry. There's a. I'm gonna read it to you from here because I can't see. We'll take care of that for you here. He takes revenge." on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemy. The Lord is what? What does it say? Wait, this is the next one. Let's read this again. Can we start over? Okay, go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. All right. The Lord is jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. The Lord is what? Slow to get angry. That's important. When talking about the wrath of God, you can't leave that. The Lord is slow to get angry, but His power is great, and He never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays His power in the whirlwind and in the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath His feet. In His presence, the mountains quake and the hills melt away. The earth trembles and the people are destroyed. Who can stand before His fierce anger? Who can survive His burning fury? So, we take a look at this verse, and we realize that if you, if you just look at... And by the way, this is in Nahum. This is in Nahum. This is Old Testament. So a lot of people will be like, well, that's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. And so the New Testament, isn't, it, isn't God a God of love? We'll I'll get to that in a second. But if you, if you watch Oprah, and you go to her for your spiritual advice... And she says, you know, I just can't believe in a God that's a jealous God. You know, let me give you some advice. Don't go to Oprah for your spiritual advice, okay? Um, we look we look at the very beginning, okay? Um, well, I'm going to go to Scripture in a second, but i got to tell you a story. I just, it just came to my mind. I thought about it this way. How can I describe the wrath of God? Well, I'm a surfer. And surfers, not just any surfer, I'm. I would call myself a big wave surfer, because that's what I'm attracted to. That's what I'm drawn to. That's what brings out the world stands still. That it brings this adrenaline and this, this life that I get by being in waves that could kill me. So I'm. I'm lured and I'm drawn to these big waves. They. They whisper and draw me in. They. They say, "Come and ride me." This experience. This rush and. Uh, I was just actually at Hole Park last week dropping my girls off at school. And the way I scheduled it is I drop them off and I pick them up from school. And so what I do is um, I strategically plan like an hour of time where I can get in the surf and I can, and I can get on some big waves and have a good time. And there've been some decent sized waves. I'm not, I'm not talking about like you know, the ones that could kill you, okay, well, you could die on any way, you know, triple over ankle, it's, you know, unless you go on your top of your head into the reef, you're not going to die, um, unless you're a moron, and, uh, okay, so, but these waves are probably the size of a one-story house with the roof included, there was uh, some, some decent size, and so when those waves come to outside set, and I got this deep intuition of, of, of the ocean, like, People are like, how do you know when a set's coming in? You don't even see it, but how did you know? Because, for example, I'll be paddling out, way out, far out, and everybody looks at me, and they look out, and they look at me again, I'm paddling out, and then they start following me because I'm usually one of the first persons to know there's a set coming. And sometimes if I'm generous, I'll be like, whoo, (laughs) set. I'll yell it out, but I don't want to stir the herd because I want to get there first, okay? That's what we call stirring the herd, okay? A whole herd of cows, whoo, they come running, you know, for food. Okay, so you get out in that surf and I just have this deep gut feeling this set comes and there's a big wave. And then you feel the fear take over you. And I always, I always, I always love yelling out the name of Jesus to, to overcome my fear. Like, Jesus! Or even when I'm paddling into, down the face and this wave is starting to get steep and I'm paddling into it, trying to catch it. I, you know what I scream out? I scream out, I can do all things through Jesus by whom I live, move, and breathe. I scream that out as I'm dropping into the wave. It's awesome because it helps me conquer my fear. Uh, so these, these waves... I can make the analogy of these big waves that can kill you. They're, in fact, when you get caught in, you just get the fuel, the power of these waves. They, there's this immense power. You get ripped in three different directions and your board's getting held underneath water because the power. And, and so the analogy is this. A lot of people will come to Hawaii and they love the ocean. They love the, they love the beauty and and they love to experience it but they don't respect the ocean. They love the ocean, but don't respect it. And so you'll find out, you'll hear about some tourists getting sucked down a blowhole and dying, or, you know, getting caught in a big set wave and getting smashed against the rocks. I mean, these things happen in Maui, in Hawaii. And you'll hear about it, you know, once a month, you know, once a quarter, you'll hear about some terrible accident because someone loved the ocean, but didn't respect it. And that is what fearing God means. It means loving God because some people love God, but they don't respect the power of God. They don't respect the wrath of God because he is a just God and he holds people accountable, but at the same time, he's a merciful, loving God. But we like to focus as a church on just that part, but we don't don't want to talk about the fear of the Lord or the wrath of God. Or the justice of God. But today, we're going to talk about it through the story of Noah. Uh, but before we do it, let me give you some examples on, on like how really I think the world kind of handles this kind of hot potato subject, right? Okay, how many of you guys love movies? Obviously, I, I love movies, okay? Uh, have you seen Talladega Nights? Okay, so you know, um, people like their version of God, okay? They like to make God in their image. So Talladega Nights, right? He's like, uh, the main character, Ricky Bobby, right? <laughs> he, right? Uh, he goes, uh, He goes. D-, he's praying. He goes, dear baby Jesus. <laughs> see, see, you know, he's praying and it's hilarious, okay? But it, it's, it, you have to have a sense of humor if you watch these things because if you're too religious, you're just going to, like, storm off and you miss the point. You're not going to have any fun. All right, so, but there, it, 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 it's a little sacrilegious, you know, a little bit. But the point is, he's, he's, uh, he's, um, he's he's praying to Jesus, the baby Jesus, right? And, I, and the old man, his, his dad-in-law is like, no, he was a grown man. He's not this baby. Well, I like my baby Jesus, okay? And then uh, the other character, his sidekick is like, well, I like to picture Jesus like in a tuxedo T-shirt at a Leonard Skinner concert. And I'm like, and I'm like in the front row and drunk and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and that's how he's describing his Jesus, okay? And so the world we, we likes to take, and, you know, some for some people, Jesus is like that guy, you know, like, and uh, that's how it is. Um, by the way, just a side, tra- uh, a, a side a side note, I saw on Facebook the most hilarious thing ever. Um, I saw this guy listening to Jesus take the wheel in his car, and then there's a Jesus comes in, and like, he's like, must be on a skateboarder somehow, but he reaches in and takes the wheel, and he's like, yeah, and they're like, no- you gotta see it for yourself. I'm on Facebook too much, you can tell. Um, so... But yeah, Talladega Nights, we like to make God in our image. Well, you, when you, Oprah says, well, God can't be jealous, right? He, he, he can't be a God, a vengeful God, a God of wrath, he, right? He loves everybody. We get unlimited chances, right? On Judgment Day, we'll all get participation trophies, and it's going to be all good. God's going to high-five everybody. You're all invited. You're all in. You know, and then we, we get ta- thinking like, oh, church should be a safe space where we, we just coddle people, and make, you know, make it, make it safe. But if, if we're preaching the whole Bible, we're going to talk about some tough, difficult things that aren't easy, right? Well, you know, how could God send anybody to hell? I mean, who, what kind of God is that? I don't know if you ever uh, talked to somebody who thought like that. And again, the Old Testament, right, if you, what you believe about the Bible is true, in the Christian faith, the New Testament trumps the Old Testament, right? What comes after is what is gospel, okay? So in the Old Testament, there's a lot of eye-for-eye eye things. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of really terrible things going on. And then the New Testament comes along, and Jesus comes along, he says, right? He says, before, I used to, I used to say eye for an eye, and I, now I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, right? And the final words of Jesus on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, right? And so there's there is a... Uh, there is a order to this. But at the same time, God is a God, the same God of yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. There's characteristics of God that you can't wash out of the Bible. You can't get rid of them. And we're going to talk about that because we still serve a God of wrath that we ought to fear. And we're going to take a look at that. Before we do that, I'm going to need God's help, really need God's help on this subject. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for um, just the story of Noah and what we can learn from it. And, and I just pray that you would just give me a, a sensitive uh, heart to your, the leadings of your spirit, Lord. Uh, speak through me through the power of your spirit. And I just pray also that um, hearts would be open, Lord. That people would be able to receive what you have to uh, say to them. Um, help us to learn something today and grow in our faith. In, in, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you, you take a look at the whole gospel, the whole Bible, the Old Testament. You start off with Adam and Eve, right? And they really messed up, right? They, God gave them the option of choosing from the tree of good and evil, right? They, because God is a gentleman, he doesn't want to force himself on people, so he gives them free will. So that's what the whole, the whole tree, like don't eat from that tree. And they ate from it, right? They disobeyed him. Right there, God could have said, you know what, you're done. Boom. But he didn't. And then we get to the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. And I'm going to just read to you um, bits and parts of this chapter um, from verse 1 all the way to 12. And this is the message version. This is what it says. When the human race began to increase with more and more daughters being born and the sons of God, noticed that the daughters of men were beautiful. They looked them over and picked out wives for themselves. Then God said, I'm not going to breathe life into men and women endlessly. Eventually, they're all going to die. From now on, they can expect a lifespan of 120 years. This was back in the days, and also later, when there were giants in the land. And the giants came from a union of the sons of God and the daughters of men. These were the mighty men of ancient lore and famous ones. God saw that the human evil was out of control. The people thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil. From morning to night, God was sorry that he had made human race in the first place. It broke his heart. And God said, I'll get rid of my ruined creation, make a clean sweep People, animals, snakes, bugs, birds, the works. I'm sorry I made them. As far as God was concerned, the earth had become a sewer. There was violence everywhere. God took one look and saw how bad it was. Everyone corrupt and corrupting. Life itself corrupt to the core. And so we read this. This is the beginning of the story of Noah. And it's like, whoa, there's something that went wrong here. Okay, well, the first part that where we got off track, right, was then when Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right, they already had the knowledge of good. They had, they had infinity amount of years to live. They didn't die, right, and they had food to eat. They were in this beautiful garden. It was perfect. God made it, and it was good. So, but then what did Adam and Eve had to go and do? They had to go and ruin it, and then sin answered the equation the corruption entered in the sicknesses and the diseases and then the animals and the way they interacted and the in the circle of life all that got corrupted and it brought in this corruption and i like to imagine during this time in, uh, during the time of adam and eve and also in noah that there is a a spiritual battle at play that's happening in the heaven realms the bible says that what it ha- happens in the heavens it, it manifests itself here in the physical Uh, universe, right? And so there's this battle raging. There is this war between God and Satan. Satan gets to the point where he's like, you know what? I want your job. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. And I'm going to go after what you got. And so there's this war in heaven. And there's actually angels that follow Satan, Lucifer. And in this text, that's what they're referring to, the sons of God. They saw how beautiful some of the women were. And they're like, hey, I want that. And so these fallen angels that other, otherwise referred to as demons went and had sex with human beings. And as a result, there is this, this corruption. These, these, these um, I don't know if you watch Lord of the Rings or some of the uh, underworld movies with the, the vampires. There was some dark things. So these demons come down and they teach the art of war. They teach witchcraft, all kinds of sorcery, and, and really dark stuff to human beings, and then they have sex with them, and giants are born, and you're just like, okay, so wait, okay, time out, wait, this is in the Bible, wait, giants? Okay, whoa, okay, well, what's going on here? But let me just let me just bring it a little bit back uh, again, scientifically, just to take a look a few a few uh, look at a few of these things. First of all, if you take a Micronesian And you stand up next to the Rock Johnson, okay? And and those times and the way that be written, I'm not trying to diminish what God's Word says here. But that, if I'm a Micronesian, and and, and they're very small, right? The ones that I've met, and they're very awesome and adorable, and I would just cuddle them. It's it's so short, but that's just a part of their physical genetic makeup, okay? It's all all good. But you stand up next to the Rock Johnson, also uh, a Polynesian, Micronesians are Polynesians. Uh, and the Rock Johnson's Polynesian, okay? And you stand next to each other, and, and you would... If you're a Micronesian, you don't have a way of explaining things. That, that's a giant. That's a giant. But let me take it back. That's just the science part of it, okay? But let me take it back. But this says there were giants. There were giants that were referred to as the ancient heroes. The ancient lore that are referred to. like, And so... I like to think about um, Greek mythology. I like to think about some of the things that were written. And, and you know, like Hercules and things like that. Well, this is not sounding too crazy when you look at what this is saying here. that there were giants. they were, they were especially strong and large, and so that's what the Bible's saying here. So But let me, let me go back to um, what's happening. is it, there's a major corruption happening. On on a large scale of what God originally designed everything to do. From Adam and Eve choosing sin to the the war in the heavenly realms to where these demons are coming down, and just it's like a big free-for-all. And God's looking at this and it says, I'm I'm gonna destroy this all. This is a big mess. It's a big mess. There was violence everywhere. I like how the text refers to it as a sewer. But the violence everywhere, I I think about that. I'm like, especially the violence and the corruption are mentioned in multiple different translation and texts. the violence is mentioned. And the way that those demons taught the art of war, how to to take a man who's created in God's image, who God loves, and teach them to, to kill themselves, to kill each other. This is especially why God's heart broke. And so God is a God of wrath, but he's still righteous. He's still just, and he holds sin to account. He's still righteous. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so if I'm saying God's a God of wrath, and he's righteous, and he's just, does that mean that the God we serve is this some kind of weirdo sicko up there that has bloodlust and just loves seeing people die and loves t- killing people and taking people out? Is that the God we serve? No, 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 no. Check this out. Check this out. I'm trying to balance this out. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. What does it say here? Do you think that I, like this is God talking, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord, of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Look, he's looking at here and and before Noah, and he's looking at the wickedness, the violence, the corruption, the sickness that is over the earth. And he's not sitting there wishing that all of them would perish. It breaks, it said right here, it said it broke his heart. It broke his heart. He says, I'm sorry I ever did this. And so he's not wishing to just, Wipe everything off the face of the map. Otherwise, that's what he would have done with Adam and Eve. He wouldn't have salvaged it, right? So God is a God of wrath, but he's still righteous. He does what's right. The second thing we need to learn about God is that God is a God of wrath, but he's still a friend to those who fear God. What, are you, what is fearing God again? Remember the two things. It's an equation, right? Loving God plus what? Respect equals fearing God. Loving and respecting God equals fearing God. And God has got a wrath, but he's still a friend to those who fear God. You cannot, here's the thing. You cannot fear God without loving him, which you can't love someone you don't know, right? And you cannot respect someone you do not know. So if you fear God, what what does that mean? That means you know God. You know God. You have an intimate relationship with him. And God is a God of wrath, but he's still a friend to those who fear him. And the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Not, not, that's, fear of the Lord is not like, ah, he's going to smite me, everything I do. Ah. No, 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 it's loving God and respecting him. And I know, it's like that wave, I know its power. And I, and I love it. I love it. Genesis chapter six. We will continue on the story here. So, what, the story of Noah. Chapter six, verses eight through nine. It says this. But Noah was different. God liked what He saw in Noah, and Noah was what? He was a good man. He's a good man. A man of what? Integrity. In his community, Noah what? Walked with God, and God said to Noah, "It's all over." It's the end of the human race. The violence is everywhere. I'm making a clean sweep. And so he reaches out to Noah. He says, hey, man, I like you, but I still got to fix this. I still got to fix this. And Noah was different because he walked with God. And because he walked with God, he feared God. He loved God. And God saw Noah. And God was still a friend to Noah, Noah. And we'll show you how that happens here in the next part where we talk about the idea of that God is a God of wrath, but He's still looking for what He can save. And even if there is everything is corrupt and all is lost, God's looking to what He can save. What can I salvage from the situation? Your life is a mess, but what can I redeem? How can I bring salvation? How can I bring mercy to this? And that's what God is doing. He's looking for what he can save. And so he's looking to Noah and he sees that he's a good man with integrity. In Genesis chapter six, verses 17 to 21, it says this. I'm going to bring a flood on the earth that will destroy everything alive under heaven. Total destruction. But what is he going to do? I'm going to establish a covenant with you. You'll board the ship and your sons and your wife and your sons and wives will come on board with you. And you also will take two of each living creature, male and female, on board the ship to preserve their lives with you. I love that. There's redemption in it. It's, all, it's, it's, it's corrupt and it's lost, but God is still looking for what He can salvage. And He sees that through Noah and his family. And that's what, that's what He's going to do. He's going to preserve His creation. He's not willing to... He, Built, he created this beautiful earth with the birds and the animals and the beautiful landscapes and waterfalls and towering mountains with snow and glaciers and all the beautiful things that he built and l- with his loving hands by, the, by speaking it into, into existence. God created it and he loved it. And he, again, at the end of it, he said, this is good. But then the, the, the fall happens in, in, in the Garden of Eden. And then you have This demonic war that happens. And then there's a result, all chaos breaks out. War, violence, and corruption. And God's still saying, I see the good in you, Noah. I still see that this creation is salvageable, redeemable. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18 says this The Lord is what? Slow to anger and filled with what? Unfailing love. Forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. That's the key. That's the key. If this corruption, if these people in the time of Noah would have asked God to forgive them of their sin, God would have forgave them but the corruption was so bad that they did not want forgiveness. They were so evil and vile and detestable that God became filled with vengeance and rage. As we go on in the story, we're going to discover how that happens, how, how this, this really bloody uh, thing comes together. Um, but I want to bring it to now because you be like, wow, this is a story that's crazy and Ugh, like oh, I, 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 talking about the wrath of God is uncomfortable, um, but I want to draw some parallels with you because we live in a society in an age now that I believe we are approaching the corruption that you found in the days of Noah. I'm not talking about. I'm not going to go into detail about which and what. Let's just look at the violence. Let's just look at the violence. The the, the value of human life is nothing. And I bet you God is looking down to now and it's stirring up some of the same emotions he must have felt in the days of Noah where it's breaking his heart. And I want to tie this together to now because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God did kick Adam and Eve out of the garden for their sin. He held account into account the people who were in Noah's day. He was going to go and destroy Nineveh. There is this reoccurring message of judgment. That happens. Yeah. Yes, there's mercy, right? There's mercy and redemption, mercy and redemption, mercy. In fact, the whole story of Israel is that is Israel running from God, falling away from Him, and then God's wrath comes and a foreign country comes and just slaughters them. And they realize that we've turned away from God and they make their heart right with God and then God redeems them and puts them back in a place. And then it goes and happens again and then it happens again. It's a story of Israel, His people, but it's also the story of us, right? <laughs> We're human beings. We fall and then God helps us back up. When we ask for forgiveness, he picks us up by the hand and he redeems the situation. He, he takes everything that, got, that Satan used for the bad and turns it around for your good. He, he is able to forgive. Yeah, but there are consequences for our sin and we sometimes we see that even though God forgives, we still have consequences in our life. It's this recurring theme. But in the Bible, there's this recurring thing of judgment that continues all the way to the end of the Bible. So I'm sorry if you have the theology, the Oprah theology that, all oh, like everything's rose petal. And at the very end, it's going to be everybody's going to get to heaven. We all get a participation trophy and God's going to high five everybody say, hey, you were a good guy. Eh? Right? But the reality is that the Bible says is all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We were utterly and completely corrupt and broken. And if it weren't for the blood of Jesus... The redeeming, redeeming blood of Jesus that we have, this mercy, we have access to this mercy and this grace right now. If it weren't for the blood of Jesus, we could not be saved. We could not even look at the face of God. We could not even be in his, anywhere in His proximity because we would just poof, evaporate because of the sin in us. This God is holy. He's perfect. He cannot be like this with sin. But that's where He gave His Son, Jesus. So where we go before the judgment throne of God, that our advocate, our lawyer, right? There's the prosecutor Satan, there's the judge God, and there's our Lord Jesus. When he's standing before us, all that God sees is Christ. All he sees is the blood he shed for you. He doesn't see your sin, right? And that's what we have to be thankful for. But at the end, at the end, there will be a point where there is no more access to that grace and mercy. There'll be, it'll be curtains closed, There'll be a cutoff point. And, that, and the Bible talks about in Revelation. And Jesus was even talking about He's talking to his disciples about it. And they were, they were, he was like, he to telling them, like, not one stone of this temple will be on top of another. It'll be gone. There'll be terrible wars and, and slaughter and death. And all. he's telling them about all this stuff. And they're like, whoa. When will it happen? When, tell us when. Because we, we want to mark our calendars because we want to be ready for it. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're not going to know when it comes. And he made the analogy to Noah. Jesus tells them the story of Noah. He says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, verses 27 to 42, he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving and marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about it. What would happen until the flood came and took them all away? That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be a gre- a grinding with, with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. And it goes on. It says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And that will be, so there's a cutoff point to, to God's mercy. There's like a time frame. you like you got, got a time frame to receive that grace and that mercy. And in fact, even if you don't see the coming of God, it, it says keep watch. Keep watch because it'll come upon you like the days of Noah where they were hanging out, chilling, having fun, having a grand old time, killing each other, being evil, corrupt. And then God's like, boom, poof, done. And it was too late. It, even if you don't see something like that in your lifetime, even if you don't see God coming down the Son of Man coming down in clouds of fire with His angels. And Christ is wielding the sword, right? He's given us mercy, but at the end in Revelation, it talks about He's coming to bring judgment. And His cloak is drenched in blood. The wrath of God. See, we talk about the Jesus who's loving and dies and for the forgiveness of sins on a cross. But then we forget about, oh yeah, He's going to come back and take everybody out who doesn't receive that grace and that mercy. That's not, a, that's not a popular story. That's not an easy story to talk about, the end of days. But that's what the Bible says. And if, even if you do not see that judgment in our day, if we don't see the coming of Christ, the second coming, we call it the second coming, if you don't see that, you will see in your lifetime a cutoff point. In your life, you will reach a cutoff point. And that cutoff point is death. When you die... The opportunity for grace and mercies, it's done. That's it. You, you've reached the point to where if you haven't made a decision right by then to surrender your life to, to Christ and to receive that free gift, it's done. The Bible says that there's judgment for you if you don't accept Jesus. He's not going to force you to do it. You, can, you have free will. You can do whatever you want. That's what the tree was in the garden. But he's looking for those who he can save because it's corrupt the violence the wickedness it's pervasive it's here but I keep coming back to the idea that we still are given like my mind is blown that even for all the, this wrath of God, and don't worry, you need to come next week because we're going to talk about uh, the mercies of God. That we're going to talk about the story and see how it all comes to the end. But, but my mind is blown by this. As, as we deserve death, we are so broken and corrupt and wicked and evil that we deserve, that we do not deserve to breathe life. We don't deserve this opportunity. God, uh, he, I mean... He would have been perfectly within his right to wipe the slate clean and do over and to create something else. And we wouldn't even be here. But God in his love, his unfailing love provided an opportunity for me to ask him for forgiveness, to redeem me, this broken, this wicked, hateful, vile, lustful, thieving, broken wicked liar he he, he he loved me his unfailing love loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me that even though I deserved death and I I deserved eternity in hell for the things that I've done he gave me his son Jesus forgive me of my sin, and I'm begging you, don't get to the end of your life where that cutoff date comes without surrendering your heart to Jesus. Because there are consequences to what we do and how we live and what we, uh, what we choose to do with this life. There's consequences. It's just not like, a, a, like a, a, a theme park where we go in and have fun and then woohoo, it's over and then that's it. Oh, no, no. There are eternal consequences that play, and I'm begging you, I'm begging you with someone who believes with all my heart that this is real, that Christ is real, and that he was alive, and that he bled and died for you, and that he was God in human form, his, he, was, he was reaching out to us for this opportunity to have our life change, and if I didn't believe it, then I would, I, I'd, I'd be, I be, should be pitied. If, and if, and if, if you're in here and you, and you believe in Christ and he's not real, you ought to be pitied too because it's just a sham and, a, and it just, it's just, we're just doing this whole like hoopla and dance for nothing. But the reality is, I believe with all my heart that God's word is true and what it said is true and what it says going to come is true and that there are consequences, that there are cutoff points. There's accountability. Hey, let, me, let me just be real with you for a second here. I don't know what I would do with myself if I didn't know that God was a wrathful God, that God held people accountable for what they did. If, you have, if you're a, a father or a mother and you have your, your daughter murdered and raped and then you don't believe that one day that person will be held accountable, that there's no accountability in life. Like I, 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 I would dread the idea that there is not justice. Right? God says, blessed are those for hunger and thirst for justice, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. God is a just God. And I don't know what I'd do with myself if there weren't consequences. Oh, I would be just a, a more wicked and vile person if I thought there was no consequence. Hey, If there's no, no, no accountability on end, hey, I'm murder for somebody for the money, sure. Why not? A rape that woman there, oh, who, who, who cares, right? But I know that God is just. And he even sets up the institution of this world. He sets up rulers and authority figures to hold people accountable. Imagine society. If we all decide to say, no, God's dead, there's no consequences for after life. so live and let live, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Can you imagine the world we live in right now? Would you would, could you imagine the corruption and evil? So I thank God. So I thank God. I thank God that He is a God of wrath and justice, but I also even more thankful that He's a God of mercy, and that we have access to that. So we're gonna close. Um, this is heavy stuff. You guys, you like like you, you survived, okay? All right. So um, here's the thing. God is a God of wrath. He's also a God of mercy. But you know what that does? And I'll close with this. I'm going to close with this. I promise. It frees me up to not have to be a person of wrath. Because if God is a God of wrath and justice, then I'm free to say, okay, God, you've got it. Right? The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. You don't do that. That's my job. So that the burden is off us. They have to be sitting there judging people and be wrathful. It frees me up to love people. That's why I can't go without the wrath of God, because that's his job. He's God. I'm not. So, hey, God, that's your your job. So it frees me up to love people. So when I get here and I'm with you guys or I'm out hanging out and I get the opportunity to love on people, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Um, so, we don't use this concept of the wrath of God to preach down at people and say, You're going to hell. You sinner. No, that's not our job. God's the one that judges, He's the one that decides. Your job is to love. And so, the awakening, the way we approach people with this message is we don't say, Repent or burn. We come at it like, hey, first of all, I want to love on you and be your friend. I want to be a part. You want, you want to be a part of our family? Come in our family. Whatever mess you've got, we don't care. We want to love on you. And we want you to experiencing the power and the love of God that will transform you. That's the approach we take as a church. That's how we, so we don't go on the street corner and start screaming with a bullhorn at people. You're going to help. No, that's not how we do it. We, we reach people for Christ through love, through relationship, and that's the power that transforms. I don't want any of you guys making a decision to follow Christ based off of fear of, like, God's going to smite me. It, it's, it, it's, it. I want you to be motivated by the love of Jesus, by, by what he offers us, the forgiveness he offers, the mercy he offers. That's what I want to drive you. But as a church, as a pastor, I've got to talk about this stuff so that you guys have a knowledge of it. So you know it's there, right? Uh, atheist got on uh, Facebook and he said, listen, I don't believe in the your hoopla, but if you really believe it's true and you're not telling other people about, you say you got a cure to cancer, so to speak, the spiritual cure to cancer, right? And if you're not telling people, you, you're a worst kind of human being because you have something you believe is the truth and you're not sharing it with people. You're not telling people about it. Hey, look, there's a train coming. You're on the railroad track. By the way, hey, uh, there's a train coming, a freight train, it's going really fast. You better get off the hey, buddy, hello. You know, how do we do that? Right? It's through relationship and loving people, but it's also telling the truth that there's there's a point. There's a point of no return. That's it. Um, we're gonna pray, we're gonna ask God to help us digest because this is like, oh am I blown. Woo! Okay, um, we're gonna ask God to help us with that. Um, so, if you can do me a favor, just join me in prayer. We're gonna bow our heads, close our eyes. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Uh, we thank you for the story of Noah and what the themes that we can learn from the story. And, and and to be real with you, God, it's just it's it's hard to digest. It's hard to think through the, the concept of your wrath and your and and your vengeance um, and that sh- the justice part of things. It's hard because um, so many of us have been wounded. Maybe in the past, it might have been a church or a person who was a very angry, hateful, uh, vengeful type of person and it wasn't their job. The wrath wasn't their job, but they took on it and they took it on and because of it, they hurt and wounded people and pushed people away from God instead of bringing them closer to God. And so, Lord, we just pray right now for anybody in here who has that kind of uh, wound, and Lord, that you would just slowly and, and delicately and carefully heal that wound. And we thank you that whoever is in here that has that kind of wound, that they're here at the awakening so that they can be loved into your kingdom, not scared or frightened into your kingdom. But Lord, we also thank you for the truth that we discovered here about your wrath. And um, knowing that there are consequences, knowing there are points of no return, knowing that there is... This is not a game. Uh, and so if you're in here this morning and you're and you're far from God and you, you don't have a relationship with him, you, you don't love God because you don't know him. You don't respect him because you don't know him. You don't fear him because you don't know him, but you want you want to know him. You want to know what it means to love God. Well, here's the thing. It's impossible to love God without receiving his love first. Because what that does is when you receive his love, it transforms you into, to give you the capacity to love God back, to love yourself, to love your neighbor. Without that love, you can do nothing. And all you got to do is receive it. And I want to show you how to do that this morning. I want to show you how to... say a prayer and you might have said this prayer a long time ago and you've gotten off track way off track but you're just like man i want to get back on track or i've never said this prayer at all i'm going to show you how to say this prayer and it's a and it's a meaningful deep authentic prayer knowing that god is listening and you say these words and if, if everybody can say my loud with me so nobody feels left out the important part is that you mean them if you mean them in your heart then he hears you and you say this you say jesus Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me and that you rose from the dead and you conquered death so that I could be free. Jesus, I believe you're Lord and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Come in my heart. Wash me clean. Make me a new person. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week. The Awakening Church is a church that unchurched people love to attend, where real people can come as they are and connect with others who love God. If you're on Maui, please come join us. If you're not on Maui or you can't attend a service, check us out online at theawakening.org or download our Awakening Church app. You'll find past messages, online Bible studies, scripture, and lots of other cool stuff, including ways where you can help us continue our mission. If this message has blessed you, You can help us increase our reach by giving to The Awakening Church, either on our app or online. Thank you for joining us. Aloha.